podcast. Uh, today is June 29th, the day of this recording, and it is also the feast day of St. Peter and Paul. Uh, and as uh, I was saying my prayers this morning, morning prayer, the office of readings, and thinking about uh, these saints, these great saints, these kind of these two pillars of the church, Peter and Paul, I was thinking about their um, their arcs within Scripture, um, the way that their lives were framed um, from what we know of them in the Gospels and in the New Testament for in the case of Paul. And it got me thinking about reading Scripture as uh, literature, specifically the Gospels. Um, I was thinking more about the Gospels and seeing the Gospels as a story because I think um, – with St. Peter specifically, he has one of the greatest character arcs in, at the very least, the New Testament, but mm-hmm. I would say even all of Scripture. Um, he has a really compelling character arc where he starts as this rough fisherman mm-hmm. who doesn't seem very malleable. You know, he's um, kind of set in his ways. Uh, and he ends up being not only the first pope, but he ends up dying in a way that mimics Christ being crucified. Actually, and, and even in his death, he has this great moment of humility where he says, like, uh, you know, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to imitate our, you know, to imitate our Lord on the cross like this. Um, and so from that, like, when you look at his death and you think back to his life, um, it's really compelling, this, this character of St. Peter. And I was understanding that as uh, under the the scope under the lens of um, uh, literature, under the lens of um, character arcs. Mm-hmm. As some of our listeners may know, I, I do like to write in my spare time. Um, so I, I study um, the, the, the tools of writing. <laughs> um, and, you know, writing good characters is, you know, a, a foundational to writing any story. Uh, and so thinking about Peter as a good character, having a good character arc set in a powerful story um, was just something that I've been dwelling on this morning. And so I thought we could talk about understanding um, the Bible, Scripture. Um, like I said, specifically, I was thinking about the Gospels as literature. And this is something that um, uh, Peterson actually talks about a little bit, too, mm-hmm. in understanding um, Scripture as uh, myth, right? Or or he would, you know, literature, as we're saying, Um and I think a lot of people today might have a problem with seeing the Bible as um, myth or literature because I think there's a general um, misunderstanding of what literature is. Right. Um, typically, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what the way I understand how people view literature is that they're fake stories. Right. Yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. They're stories that entertain, um, and but. You know, ultimately, they they can't hold a candle to um, the truth that comes out of the you know science, right, right? Or, or math, or yeah, history that actually happened. Um, but I actually think that literature it holds a higher form of truth than than history or um, math uh, and the sciences. Actually. Um, and it's not just me. I'm not just making this up. <laughs> this is, um, Aristotle, in his um, in his Poetics, makes this argument, saying that um, uh, the study of poetry is a higher um, form of um, 
um, it, it would be more noble to pursue poetry than history, he says, mm. because poetry um, deals with um, universal truths, mm-hmm. whereas um, history deals with um, uh, um, particulars. Particular. Yeah. So there's a tradition of understanding um, literature um, as a not just um, something that goes alongside of the other um, other studies, but actually that has a higher place. Right. Um, it was actually, uh, you know, speaking of the Greeks, um, when Al- Alexander the Great's father brought Alexander the Great to um, Aristotle to, mm-hmm. to study, and he said, teach him the poems of Homer. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't say, teach him your Nicomachean ethics, right. <laughs> you know, right. or, or teach him, uh, you know, metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, teach him the, the poems of Homer, um, which I just, again, it speaks to this idea that integrating the truths within literature mm-hmm. um, is um, more important to the human experience than integrating um, particulars that you learn, like facts that you memorize. Um, it is interesting to think about how we've lost that uh, notion of literature uh, because we only have like two categories of things. It's either like real or fake. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not something like supernatural or like more real than yeah. history itself. It's like we don't even have a category for that anymore in society. And so we can't possibly see something like literature, like a, a novel about something that never took place as being more real than a historical account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it it's the natural byproduct of getting rid of things like the supernatural, which you wouldn't expect. I mean, even there are people who appreciate literature that are atheists. Right. It's It almost seems like a living contradiction. <laughs> right. And I think, um, well, this is, Peterson um, said that in a certain sense, literature contains uh he's it's myth or he said the, the myths are more true than reality itself mm. uh and that that kind of sounds platonic when you think about like you know the the forms and the really the really real right mm-hmm. um but i think that that's getting um to the the heart of the matter where any good story i think will um seize on a truth that can be found in everyday life but then wraps a story around it to magnify that truth, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, for instance, like Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, F- Sam and Frodo going up the slopes of Mount Doom and Sam carries Frodo up. It's like that, that the, the particulars of the story are not factual, mm-hmm. but the friendship that's on display is magnified because of those invented Particulars. You, you see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, and so no one's going to deny the reality of friendship. Uh, and literature right. helps us see that reality in a new light so that we can understand it better. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I think that's what we mean by saying that there's truth um, embedded in literature and myth. Um, it takes something that we all experience every day uh, in our everyday lives and magnifies it so that we can mm-hmm. understand it better. And then when we go back out into our lives, we and we encounter those things that we just were dwelling on in literature, um, we can then reflect on it in our own souls and see like is you know the way I'm experiencing is it matching up to that story that I read? Is it you know mm-hmm. is, or is it not? Do I need to work on it? And and so um, it really 
unlike um, the practical sciences, it helps you get uh, to become one particular thing. <laughs> um, literature helps you to become a great person. Um, right. So, yeah. Hmm. Going, but but then taking that route and now applying that to the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as Christians, we see the Gospels as the, it's a cliche, I don't, I don't know, it's a little corny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like saying like, oh, the greatest story ever told. Yeah, it, it has this little seventies vibe. I don't know, <laughs> but in, in a sense, like there, there's truth to that. When you understand story as the way we've been talking about it, right? And if you understand story as a Petersonian way of talking about truth, then you can't deny that the the gospels are the greatest story mm-hmm. ever told. Um, uh, but again, I think that you know, if there's any um, corniness to that claim that the gospels are the greatest story ever told. It's only because our concept of story has become so diminished yep. today. Um, but we need to get back to this idea of like story being a powerful conveyor of mm-hmm. truth. So, Yeah, I think um, you mentioned uh, people's un- uh, being uncomfortable with the idea of myth and literature and what does it mean. And I, I wonder if it's because we've become so accustomed to uh, the propagandation, I don't know, prop, you know, mm-hmm. propaganda style uh, story that people, I think, uh, they, they kind of assume that if someone's telling a story, that there's some something behind, mm. there's something going on behind the scenes. Like a messaging. Like, there's, or, a, yeah. there's a messaging, yeah. there's, a, there's a, uh, a subtle point that they're trying to make as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to tell a narrative. Um, Maybe that's inescapable, but I think when it comes to, I mean, you see this with some biblical criticism that uh, St. Paul and even the gospel writers were writing from a certain point of view, Mm -hmm. and they were trying to make a certain point about the Jewish people, Mm -hmm. about women's place in society, about sexual norms. And so they had a rhetorical goal Mm. that they wanted to meet, and that's why they wrote it the way they did, as opposed to... Uh, like I said, trying to tell the greatest story ever told. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- think people are leery now because they're kind of told to look at these stories as what's what's the propaganda or what's mm-hmm. the the yeah. power mm-hmm. move that they're, they're is that like play. a essentially like that hermeneutic of suspicion? Yeah. Like right. That. Yeah. Well, and it's also attached to under. Well, yeah. I'm not saying. The historical critical method is a hermeneutic of suspicion, mm-hmm. but there is a great danger when you reduce stories to a historic method. Mm. Um, and you know, Lee has experienced that as I have in studying scripture in seminary. Uh, this idea of uh, like that's the greatest um, criticism you can apply to scripture um, is it just is it does great damage to the text. Mm. Um, and they're just obsessed with like, well, this is the historical context and this is what the people – there's value in that insofar as you understand um, certain things about the culture and like you can see uh, how the idioms work and, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I get all that. Um, especially when, you know, uh, the ar- the um, archaeology that went behind mm-hmm. digging up these scrolls and, and ver- like verifying that, you know, these – okay, this place did exist and that, that does – I'm not saying that's not worthwhile mm-hmm. – but I think the greatest commentaries on scripture are that that it's going to treat it as literature, as seeing the truth about human nature, mm-hmm. um, that you can then like explodes into your mind uh, 
because it's universal. Um, right. And if it, you're, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's. Um... Are, are are they trying to? Is the story or is this narrative trying to get at a universal truth, or yeah. is it trying to uh, convey simply a message? Yeah, right? exactly. And and uh, things like the historical critical method can get down to it was trying to tell a message yeah. about this particular time. But yeah, and there's I, nothing more to ex- uh, extrapolate from that, right? And yeah. I think the the fact that like these these books of the Bible have endured for thousands of years shows that it's not just messaging because messaging will fade away. Um, because it's you know tied to a particular time and place, um, but if something's going to endure for thousands of years, um, and people are going to gravitate to it consistently over those thousands of years, then there has to be something universal. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think there's some kind of there's some questions that surround things like <clears throat> scripture and, and and the gospels, and one of them is. You know, is it simply, it's almost like our constitution, <laughs> mm-hmm. is it simply a historical text or is it a living text? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it something that can be continually, you know, examined in mind and mm-hmm. and expounded upon and commented upon forever, uh, which scripture itself seems to say that it is. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if the proof of a text can prove pr- itself. Prove right? itself. Yeah, yeah, right. But, you know, uh, it's a uh, letter to the Hebrews, um, the, you know, the the word of God is living and mm-hmm. effective, living and active. It right. pierces sure mm-hmm. than a two-edged sword, you know. Um, the, you know, that's one. Is Does this continually... And I think that is it a living text or a historical text? I think nowadays in universities, it's more... It's a historical text. Like, all these mm-hmm. are historical. And they don't necessarily have anything to tell us about anything now. Yeah. But these were men who wrote in a particular time period, and they were talking about those particular issues, but it's outdated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's even... Um, some popular commentators now in Scripture, they'll say that about St. Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Oh, Paul's ethics, they're, they're, they were written for first century, mm-hmm. and they're, now they're outdated Yeah, um, because it's a historical text, mm-hmm. whereas I think the proper interpretation of even great literature is that it's living. Mm-hmm. You know, Dostoevsky has something to tell us yep. today. Today. Yeah. Um, yeah I and think, I think all great literature has that yeah. quality that you're talking about. To your point, I think that there is something about a mis a fundamental misunderstanding of art that's like at the bottom of this of like if we're going to look at uh liter- uh the bible as literature we're going to see it through that lens uh, we have to understand what literature is but then like more generally how is art created is art this propaganda tool to like push your message mm-hmm. or is it the artist seeing things and then receiving those things and then presenting them in a panoply yeah. That you also receive, yeah. Um, as opposed to this kind of piercing, like here's the message, here's the point, um, and so yeah, it's almost like this presentation of like a wide and varied feast, to use Charlotte Mason's term, of um, all these ideas and 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 things that you've been observing, and not like you propagandizing, yeah. Um, and so in that light, you understand why something like four gospels is necessary, mm-hmm. because it's not like here's the point, like point. It's like here's the whole picture in this kind mm-hmm. of contextualized thing, and yeah. you get this like rounded vision of what they're trying to get at, yeah. as opposed to this like, oof, yeah. Know, no, that's propaganda. a that's a really good point, and that's um how the church understands what the word of God is, um, scripture, in, in De Verbum, um, uh, the the text came out of Vatican II, um, talks about um, scripture is the word of God in human words. Mm. And it 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 it, it kind of reminds me of um, the artist receiving the muse, mm-hmm. right, to create. 
Uh, and if he's going, if the the artist is going to create good art, then he's attentive to that spirit, mm-hmm. um, and then creates. And that's how we understand um, the authors of Scripture. Um, you know, uh, a fundamentalist view of Scripture is that the Bible just dropped down from the heavens, um, and it's kind of disconnected from humanity because humanity didn't work mm-hmm. on it really. But a, a proper understanding is that, like you said, like the, the artist um, is open to the spirit, and so there's this, there is a, a spiritual. Uh, immaterial sense of creation, but he's also writing it in his own way, right? right? And so when you look at the Gospels, you have the four Gospels, um, and Luke is writing it from his own background, Mm -hmm. you know? You have that Greek philosophical taste Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the Gospel of Luke. Um, John, you know, is is the latest Gospel written, and so um, the the theological um, elements of that Gospel are more developed in a way that, Mm. you know, the earlier uh, Gospels weren't. Um, And so you have... You know, these particular viewpoints, but they're all speaking to this universal claim. Right. Right? It's almost um, like they're all trying to get to the gestalt. That's like not within each particular yeah, text. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Um, but that's how literature is supposed to be. That's the whole point. Yes. That like if you're going to see it through literature, you have to see the Bible as that, the thing that's trying to get at mm-hmm. a gestalt yeah. um, that's beyond itself. Although like the big caveat to all this is that like the Bible is in fact the true myth. Like it did occur in yeah. history and that's an important point. It's not just like, Oh, when you see it as literature, it's like may or may not have happened. Yeah. It's like we believe that they did happen. Yeah, and that's and that's, like, like, and that's kind of that. elevates the gospels to it's it's really its own genre. The gospels right. are its own genre, and it forever shaped the way um, that not only do we understand human nature, but I think that um, post post New Testament times, um, the, the way we tell stories is different mm. too. Um, you know, we have an understanding of sacrificial love and like what the divine in man is that we haven't had before the revelation mm-hmm. of Christ, and so it, it in the in the telling of the gospels, um, the understanding of the entire world has changed, yeah. and so literature has to change mm-hmm. naturally too. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about the gospel is that while it's a new form of um, uh, uh, literature, it's a new genre, um, it's still connected. Um, to the past and the future. It's, um, I think C.S. Lewis makes this point, but I know Peterson does as well, that the Gospels um, are, it, it's history and myth uh, yeah. intertwining, yeah. right? Um, and so you have like the ideas of the ancient myths, you know, um, Homer and Virgil, uh, you know, all, that's just to name a couple, but, you know, the ideas of um, the great myths of old meeting the particular, mm-hmm. Um, and you have like historical context, and so it, like history is brought up into this grand narrative, mm-hmm. uh, and you can read, you can read the gospels as like this is just a like a factual myth almost, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Which is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's like if you think about myth as like how are they told? They're told with stories, words, right? Like that's how we articulate. Like that's what language is. Like we're trying to we're trying to encapsulate embodied things but using words that are immaterial yeah you know what i'm saying like when i use the word cup the word cup is not material but cups are material yeah um and it's it's through the gospels that the word becomes flesh yeah, yeah right yeah. so it's like it's that that myth coming down to history yeah um and that's what that's what the gospels are about yeah yeah um now yeah exactly so so that idea of true myth um that's the term c.s lewis used true mm-hmm. myth uh where it becomes pertinent, I think, to our lives, and connecting this back to this idea of Peter as a, a great character and having a great character arc, 
um, applying those truths that you find in uh, in the Gospels um, to yourself. Mm. And so I'm thinking about like the pattern of a good story where any story worth telling is going to have the characters um, grow and come face to face with extraordinary inconveniences, right? Um, there's no such thing as a story where the character is just boring and, and his life is boring, right? That wouldn't be a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Peter Peter specifically, like when you encounter him, uh, he is he is confronted with Christ who calls him out of himself, right? And that's the whole point of putting Peter in the Gospels is that he begins his journey. Like there would be no point in writing Peter's story before he, uh, before he meets Christ. <laughs> yeah. Because like you're just looking at what mm-hmm. like an everyday, um, mm-hmm. boring. There's no, there's nothing there's intriguing. No there's no story there, mm-hmm. and so you know I'm thinking about like you know a, a stereotypical story might open with, um, you know John Smith was going about his ordinary day when he chanced upon something out of the ordinary. Right. Um, or maybe he like spilled a glass of milk or, and like, you know, it, it sets him off this um, motion adventure almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's, this is what we call an, an inciting incident mm-hmm. in a story, mm-hmm. right? Um, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Um, you meet him and, you know, very early on in his story arc, his family's killed. Mm-hmm. And then he is like, I'm going to be a Jedi, right? right? right. That's the inciting incident. Um, and that's, in a sense, that's where the, like, the story begins for that character. Mm. Um, all that's to say, like, w- like we have inciting incidences in our lives. Um, and it may not be our family being killed. It may not be mm-hmm. Christ walking, you know, uh, coming on our fishing boat to right. call us to be a disciple. But that pattern of being called out of our ordinary lives is present to us every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this um, I have a quote from G.K. Chesterton. Um, that's um, a pertinent here. He says, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered, and mm-hmm. an inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered. And so when you can understand, I think this is a huge hack in life, <laughs> is that when you can understand your life as a story uh, and, and you're going through an arc to become a hero, then everything you experience in life adds to that adventure. Has meaning. Yeah. Even, like I said, like spin, spilling a glass of milk mm-hmm. off the table. Like the way you react to that inconvenience, mm-hmm. are you going to see that that's an adventure? It sounds weird. Yeah, like, yeah, spilling sure. a glass of milk is an right. adventure. But in a sense, mm-hmm. it is if it's, yeah. it's, if it's adding to your character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think once you understand your life as that. that well, so to yeah. the point of a, to, of, a, of a work, if that was in a story, there would have to be a meaning for that like mm-hmm. why would why would the writer put in that such and such spilled a glass of milk it's because they're trying to portray a character development in him and yeah. how he responds or show to his happened. character exactly in that moment. Yeah. and so if you see your life as literature then that means every moment has meaning yeah and there is a purpose for something right so instead of seeing literature as reality and then critiquing it being like it's not real we should see our reality as literature yeah right and literature meaning um uh, myth, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, myth, the grand yeah. narrative. I think that's right? getting at something like the like the symbolic life, mm-hmm. you know, like seeing yeah, it as like right. pertaining to these archetypes that we're trying to adhere to, and 
Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and so I think when, you know, when we go through our own lives and we're frustrated at things, um, we're, we're treating our lives as just a, a point of random um, dots in our existence um, that have no meaning. Um, but if we can string all those data points together mm-hmm. and seeing it as um, a narrative, um, that's where we really, um, yeah, it's almost like a life hack. <laughs> yeah. Now, the question is, how does one do that? Because I don't think you just sit down and think really hard about how this is somehow part of the hero's no, journey. No, and, well, and this goes back to the essence of the Gospels. It, when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, mm. it's like he's essentially saying, pattern your life off of my life. Um, and so this is what, and this is what St. Peter does, is that he's following in the footsteps of Christ. Um, but he's also unbending this rough character trait, all the rough character traits that he had before he met Christ. Has, he has to undo those in order to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does. Like, that's the whole point of um, his story, is that even when Christ goes to the cross, he's still attached to his old ways. Like, he still denies Christ three times. Um, right. And... You know, as legend has it, this is not in scripture, but legend has it like um, when uh, uh, the Christians were under persecution, uh, he was leaving Rome. And this is where Christ says, quo vadis, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where are you going? And, and that's become like a vocational um, yes, trope. Quo vadis. Yeah. <laughs> where are you going? Where's your life headed? Um, but essentially, like uh, we see Peter even in his later days. Um, still struggling to follow mm-hmm. Christ. Um, but in the end, you know, he held true and he, he actually commits himself totally. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that, you know, the, given that saying something uh, is like a piece of literature uh, feels cheap, like it feels like it cheapens it because of our misunderstanding of literature. I think that this whole notion of like seeing your life as a story, like just feels... Uh, a little escapism, like a little like, you know, oh, it's all oh. good in the end. And just, yeah, you main know, like, character stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that main character syndrome. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to like reconcile the balance there of what does that actually look like in your life? As opposed to be like, man, you're on the hero's journey. Like, it's all about you. <laughs> you yeah. know, like as opposed to a type of participation in something. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I think you can still arrive at that kind of understanding but in a more, I don't know, in like a slower, more nuanced way that gives you this kind of understanding that's not as like, I dropped my phone and that's part of my hero's journey. Like a little bit more of an intuitive understanding that this is how reality functions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah. Think, I'm just thinking out loud. So like doing things like reading literature, that's, that helps with that, of like understanding these like grand stories and narratives and different ways that narrative lays itself out that just kind of helps to give a kind of atmosphere to your life mm-hmm. that you can start to see patterns. Now, obviously that gets like, you know, you can turn into a psycho person thinking that everything is like, oh, this is everything's meant to be. And like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this kind of balance that has to be worked out. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't what your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah. I, like, how do you not fall into like protagonist syndrome and, yeah. and all that? Yeah. I, there's um a great example of this is in, um, the movie Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> by Denis Villeneuve, um, one of our favorite directors here. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, the story, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the story. It's, right. it's been out for a while. It's been out for a while. But um, 
the so- story centers around uh, one character um, who believes he is kind of like the chosen one. Okay, the chosen one trope, and he uh, throughout the story you're believing that he is the chosen one. Like there's lots of things that point to um, him being kind of like um, special. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the beginning of the third act, you find out that he's actually not the chosen one. And a group of people, um, he me- he meets a group of people, and they tell him that specifically. They say, "Oh, you thought it was you," mm-hmm. and and she says, um, "In a sense, everyone wishes that it was us. Like everyone mm-hmm. wishes that it was them, right? Yeah. Um, that we're the central character, that we're the chosen one." Um, and eventually, he comes to this idea that he's not. He accepts the fact that he's not the chosen one, and he gives up his life for the chosen one. Mm. Um, but so, so that's like an interesting, um, you know, uh, to, to answer your question, Mm -hmm. like, okay, so, you know, in the grand narrative, like objectively speaking, we're not the main character. Mm -hmm. Um, life's not all about us, but it's when you look at the movie in a meta way, he was the main character of the movie. (laughs) Mm. Um, and so I think that there's like a truth there that we can Mm -hmm. apply to ourselves is that we have to we have to treat ourselves as the main character in a sense that we have to like uh rise up to the adventures that are that we're being called to mm-hmm. but also there's a balance in understanding that objectively speaking we're living for something else right it's not like we we aren't the objective king right, right. um mm-hmm. and that's i think that that's again getting at what the gospels is is, is getting at is that like we're patterning, patter, patterning our lives off of Christ, but we're not Christ Himself, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's 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 it almost seems like um uh the two things are in conflict with each other, but mm-hmm. I think it's a mystery. It's like a sense yeah, yeah. of mystery there. So it is kind of like what we were talking about when we had Alex on about phenomenology being like you can't avoid the subjective perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, you can't right. really avoid yeah. the fact that you are the main character in your own mind. Yeah, like. There's no way you can just think objectively, purely. Um, so it is, I, I, maybe you're right. It is just a tension that we're always working out of not not falling too much into this time, type of hyper uh, fixation on how everything is related to us in, in our story and then a complete forgetting of oneself. But and, that's not... Yeah, I, I want to caveat that and just say that um, that doesn't mean that um, in your interactions with people... You're you're not treating them as like oh you're a side character to my story mm-hmm. NPC NPC yeah. right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um like uh, you know there, uh, I think that they can you can um very easily fall into this idea like I'm better than everyone mm-hmm. else and you're just here to accompany right. my own goals right yeah. um you need to also see other people as them being the main characters yes main characters that's in actually their own that's story, that's what Clavin you know? calls the the great speculation that's like right. his term that they have their own inner Correct. world. Yep. And they're seeing the world yep. like as you're seeing yep. your world. In, in order sense. for you to actually commune with somebody, you have to recognize that they have that inner life. Yeah. And then that's how you can actually have communion. Right. Yeah. Right. I think for the Christian, the the hero's journey, it gets a little complicated because the idea is to lose yourself in something greater. Mm. To yeah, be right. dispossessed of yourself yeah. is actually... Mm. Uh, the, the goal. The goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But perhaps, in imitation of Christ, that's that is when you achieve that. Is that although 
you are um, to be this this actor in this kind of divine drama, uh, you're supposed to do it as Christ did, yeah. which was right. to give your give your life away. Mm-hmm. As the main character, you give your life away yeah. Yeah, yeah. and become, uh, uh, you know, as St. John the Cross would say, you know, there's probably nothing better than to be in, in silence and forgotten, mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's a bit of a tension for the Christian hero is, you know, you, you do have something to be heroic for, which is to be, mm-hmm. you know, for Christ and to become a saint and such. But at the same time, that involves becoming uh, dispossessed of yourself. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, And, and not the center of right. the stage. And that's, that's the plot of Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> it's also, yeah. um, it's but, also but, like Aragorn's character where he says like for Frodo, right before charging Mordor. Right. Where it's like yeah. he's not saying for Gondor because inevitably you could tie that into himself and his kingship and blah, blah, blah. But it's all for somebody else, to give somebody else movement in their arc. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is really interesting. So how, so how, outside of the Christian perspective, how does the hero's journey, like, is it really just them and their fulfillment? Yeah, well, I mean, because it's part of, like, a, a individ, individuation process. Right. So it's a part of, of becoming an individual, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean that it's entirely selfish. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might be a very good thing for other people that you become not just a mask if, right. because if you're just a mask that then you're just part of a you're not a real person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're just what the whims of the popular opinion so becoming a hero is really i guess perhaps in a union or um campbell sense is becoming an individual mm-hmm. um which is not the same as being selfish like we're trying to get like very egocentric because part of the hero's journey is this kind of dissolution of the ego in the sense of Mm. that it you're not um you you know the call to adventure the trials and then there's this you know the the heroes gamos the the sacred marriage and i think that's when you kind of unite yourself to a greater purpose Mm. You know, so marriage or priesthood, mm-hmm. you are consecrated for something else. And then there you realize that your life is to, to give it away because then that then there's the return. Yeah. So you 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 go off on the journey, trials, you whatever it is, the elixir of life, the mm-hmm. sacred marriage, and then you have to bring it back to your community. So right. I, I would say that becoming the hero is actually for the sake of the community. Right. And that's. Um, I'm thinking of Star Wars too. Like we we consider Luke as an archetypal hero, but when you look at the climax, he doesn't actually, you know, defeat the bad guy. What he does is throw away his lightsaber, and he allows his father, then mm-hmm. tying into the community of mm-hmm. his past, you know, other people, he allows his father to then be the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he does it is by giving his own life. Right, and so like yeah. you know, I think in the in a true. Uh, a tr- true heroism, like you said, is always tied to the community, mm. um, and it's. I think it's um it's a wrong image that we have of heroism when we just think that the hero is the one that stands with um, his sword and a dragon's head on top of a pile of corpses right. and saying, "I am the victor." Mm-hmm. Um, like classic stories about heroism, uh, even in our modern cor- culture, like Star Wars and uh, Lord of the Rings, is it's always community based. Uh, yeah. Frodo does not throw the ring into the the mm-hmm. fire. Uh, Luke Skywalker does not kill the Emperor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's interesting to think yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even slaying the dragon, you could say, is uh, because it's threatening the village. 
Yeah. Right, right. You know, exactly. It's, like, it's yeah. not just because right. I want to, you know, hang this thing in in my living room. You know, yeah, the head yeah. the head of the dragon and right. hang it in my living room. Right. It's 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 always for others. So, um, I think that 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 helps us understand this idea of like how are we heroes in our own lives. Yeah. Um, and like you said, the goal is to give yourself away, um, and and uh, allow Christ to shine in you, mm-hmm. the true hero. But getting there is the goal so you can see that you're getting there is your story right mm-hmm. um and so we have all these individual stories that should merge together um, right now so i think this is the a good example of, of this is sort of the rise of the anti-hero you can see mm-hmm. you so mm-hmm. you can see the authentic uh journey versus the inauthentic journey yeah um like the boys that the, the tv yeah. show um has a lot of kind of anti-heroes and and um, they they're not really interested in saving the community. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think of traditionally, mm-hmm. Bat or uh, Superman mm-hmm. is very concerned with humanity. Yeah. Um, you know, Batman's very concerned with cleaning up Gotham and mm-hmm. keeping it safe. Mm-hmm. But the antihero is not. Re- it, you know, he has all the power. Right. He or she has all the power of a hero, but isn't really concerned about saving mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. It's about maybe showing off that. I am I am superhuman. Yeah. And you're just human and you need me. Right. I don't need you. Right. Yeah, or right. something like Suicide Squad where they have their like own ends of why they yeah. want to do Man, something. I, I just watched that movie. Really? It's <laughs> was so bad. Okay. It's so, so I bad. I stayed away Sorry, from it. Sorry, just like it, <laughs> no. it's it's it's, it's <laughs> horrific. Yeah. I stayed away from it because I heard it was really bad. Yeah. So um it's, I'm it's, glad I did. We watched <laughs> it um at the beach mm-hmm. you know the other week and it was actually just a time to laugh mm-hmm. about yeah. you know. So it's it, fun it, just to make fun of. Oh, it was uh, great. Okay. I, yeah, I had some yeah. rum. <laughs> and I had a great time. Um but but that is actually a good example. It's yeah. this loose grouping of people who mm-hmm. don't want to work together. Right. They're they're what they have like a like like bomb collars like insert or like yeah. bomb chips mm-hmm. like insert into the back of their head mm-hmm. so it's like if they disobey if they, they disobey right. but yeah. you, okay. you again you yeah. wouldn't do this to Batman or to Superman right. because right. they're there for you and they're there for, right. they want to mm-hmm. save the community right. these people were forced together right. to save yeah. the community yeah so it's not yeah no that's a good point so. about that like the antihero essentially always uh, works for himself that's it mm-hmm. um, like Breaking Bad is an excellent example of this Heisenberg the the main um, character. Uh, it's all about him, and any relationship he has, always has an ulterior motive to get him to the top. Mm. Always, always. Um, so, you know, that's a good foil to what a true hero, hero looks right. like. Yeah, um, and even the the weakness of the hero can sometimes be the fact that he cares about other people. Mm-hmm. Like right. That's what the yeah. villain preys upon. Yep. Is, and Batman is a good example. He doesn't exactly. kill, and Joker mm-hmm. preys upon that. Right. So, he he yeah. preys upon that he doesn't kill. He takes people he loves. Yeah. He you know threatens innocent people, yep. saying you know if you don't do something, if you don't kill, if you don't act, right. these people will die. Yeah. And you know an antihero wouldn't care, but right. uh, the hero does. Yeah. Yeah. Again, because he's for others. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Nice. So. Final note on literature. I was thinking about <laughs> Bilbo being, you know, what is that, like, the initial initiation period? What do you call that? Inciting incident. The inciting incident. Yeah. When Bilbo has all the dwarves rush into his house. Oh, yeah. That's a good example. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about, like, having kids. With dwar- <laughs> a bunch of dwarves bunch around. Of dwarves like, this is my inciting you know. incident. Oh, why do you have a beard? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Why yeah. are you drinking ale? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, actually, um, that's a perfect um, example. Because it's a very idyllic life that Bilbo has, undisturbed. Yeah, it's like total. Like he can predict 
his life for the next five years, like, mm-hmm. you know, forever, essentially mm-hmm. every day, what he's doing. Um, and Gandalf is the one that disturbs the peace. Right. Like that's like one of his titles is the disturber of the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says plainly, like, I, I, I'm looking for someone to go on an adventure. Right. And so yeah. that's a, um, that shows that whole arc very clearly uh, in the story of the Hobbit. So, yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, let's jump to the bonus. Um, I'm going to, have Lee tell us all about animus and animal possession, according to Jung. Because <laughs> I have some questions. Thrilling. Um, <laughs> animal. If you want to sign up to hear that, you can go to basicallyrelated.com. We do uh, weekly bonus episodes. Uh, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.